Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash Lisa. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The state of California has a new law known as Assembly Bill 2098. Under the new law, the Medical Board of California could discipline physicians who disseminate information about COVID that's not in line with the quote-unquote contemporary scientific consensus. Basically, in a nutshell, what this means is the Medical Board of California wants to muzzle doctors. If you question the authority, if you question the consensus, you could lose your license. Now, we've all been paying attention during COVID, and we've seen how the consensus has been wrong about everything. The consensus has been wrong about masks. The consensus has been wrong about lockdowns. The consensus has been wrong about vaccines. Essentially, this is just government censorship, the silencing of dissidents. And isn't the point of science to question the broader narrative, to question the consensus? We're going to talk to one doctor who is part of a small group who is suing the state. Now, so far, they've been successful. A California judge issued a preliminary injunction against the law, so their case will continue to proceed. That doctor's name is Dr. Aaron Cariotti. He graduated from the University of Notre Dame in philosophy and pre-medical sciences. He earned his medical degree from Georgetown University, and he completed his residency training in psychiatry at the University of California, Irvine. He, He taught there for many, many years, something like 15 years, before getting fired for speaking out against the quote-unquote consensus, for not getting vaccinated, for questioning the authority. And now he's leading the charge on this lawsuit as well. So we're going to talk to Dr. Aaron Cariotti about why he's suing, what it means, and where this lawsuit is heading. He's next. Dr. Aaron Cariotti, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, sir. Uh, thank you for making the time. Oh, absolutely. It's great to be with you, Lisa. So you are one of the five uh, physicians who have filed a lawsuit against the state of California over a new law, Assembly Bill 2098. What exactly does this law do? This law, which was introduced in the California state legislature last year, uh, passed by the state legislature, signed by the governor, is more or less a a gag order on physicians. 
it specifies that a that a physician who contradicts what the law calls the quote unquote current scientific consensus, which is never defined in the law, a very difficult uh, thing to define legally. Uh, any doctor who contradicts this supposed consensus on things related to COVID may have his or her medical license subject to disciplinary action by the medical board. So essentially the law empowers the medical board to discipline physicians in California who contradict uh, the really the preferred public health narrative on COVID. And I, I say that it's a gag order on physicians for a couple of reasons. One is it tries to control the speech that doctors engage in with their patients in the, in the privacy of the consulting room. And this shouldn't be a political issue. This should not be a, a sort of left-right liberal conservative debate. And the reason for that, as I explained when I testified against this bill at the California State Senate, is that I, I don't know anyone in California, left, right, uh, progressive, conservative, who wants to go to their doctor and ask their doctor a question about COVID treatment or COVID intervention and not have their doctor give them the doctor's honest opinion, right? Nobody wants their doctor reading from a government approved script written by the California Department of Public Health. Otherwise you would just go on the government's website and read what the government wanted you to know about COVID. The reason you ask your physicians, you want your physician's opinion. Now, you may decline to follow the physician's recommendation. You may be skeptical of the physician's judgment and go seek a second opinion, whatever. As a patient, obviously, you're, you're free in that regard as well. But I don't know anyone who doesn't want to hear what their doctor actually thinks. And so as soon as you intervene in that and try to control what physicians say to patients, you've undermined the trust that's necessary for the doctor-patient relationship to work in the first place. And ultimately, this, this is a problem for physicians uh, who may be unjustly disciplined or unjustly constrained from practicing medicine according to their best judgment. But more importantly, Lisa, it's harmful to patients, right, who need to be able to trust that what their physician is telling them uh, is actually in, the, in accord with the doctor's own clinical judgment and the doctor's own personalized and individualized recommendation for the patient. So this is a, a very serious um, and egregious uh, sort of insertion of the government into uh, the private realm of the doctor-patient relationship where the government does not belong. But it's also harmful to the practice of medicine as a whole at a sort of institutional level. Uh, because it's going to undermine the, the trust that patients in general have of medical professionals if they think that you know medical professionals are constrained by laws like this. Um, I, I think one of one of the reasons that the law is vague in its definitions. This is one of the constitutional problems with the law that we're challenging. Is even if the medical board only takes disciplinary action against one or two physicians, or maybe it never it never applies this law to specific cases. Nevertheless, the law is going to have a chilling effect on the speech of physicians, right? Because precisely because um, it's difficult to know whether or not 
whatever I'm saying may run afoul of the law or may run afoul of the medical board's interpretation of the law, I'm just not going to say anything. Or I'm just going to, you know, err on the side of only, uh, you know, saying what has been approved, again, by some government agency or some public health bureaucrat, because the potential consequences for me as a physician are so severe, right? It's, I mean, it's one thing to lose your job. Uh, it's another thing to lose your license, which is your ability to practice medicine at all. When did science become about the consensus? Isn't the whole point of science to be able to challenge the consensus? You get new data, you do new research, you come up with different, you know, a set of facts. So when has it ever been about the consensus to begin with? Oh, precisely right. It's never been about the consensus. In fact, the the idea that um, the science, capital T, capital S, delivers ready-made conclusions that are, you know, unassailable and can never be challenged. This is a this is a totally mistaken view of science. Science is a is a method, or it's a set of methods, for trying to answer really difficult, really complicated questions about the natural world, about the workings of the human body, about a rapidly evolving virus, whatever. And science advances precisely by hypothesis, by conjecture, by the gathering of evidence, by refutation, by argumentation. If you take a group of credible scientists that, that actually practice science, you put them in a, in a room together, they're going to argue endlessly. I mean, that's what scientists do. <laughs> they're going to debate about you know, the nuances of this or that study or the you know, the upshot of the research as a whole, or, you know, this theory versus that theory of viral evolution or of, you know, treatment of a respiratory illness. That's a good thing. That's precisely how science advances. So if you actually understand how medical science works, it's very clear immediately that science and censorship are totally incompatible. So that, that's precisely another problem with this law is not just what it does to the doctor patient relationship in a consulting room, but what it does to the advance of medical science, trying to fixate any conclusion at any given point of time as um, the final truth. And it cannot be challenged. And it's, you know, it's unassailable. That will guarantee that you're going to bring the scientific enterprise to a grinding halt. Um, so it, it, it's, it's clearly a misguided uh, law and an unjust law in terms of suppressing the physician's free speech rights uh, and the patient's rights to receive certain forms of information, which is another key aspect of free speech. But it will also have this um, downstream consequence of halting the progress of medical science and of, you know, chasing out of the state good physician scientists who are on the front lines, asking good questions, um, exploring novel treatments, trying to improve treatment protocols. Doctors like this, precisely the kind of doctors that tend to advance the field, they're, they're not going to want to practice medicine in California. They're going to they're, they're gonna jump ship and you know, the physician shortage, shortage that we already have in this state is only going to get worse. And in fact, it, it will be some of the some of the best, most forward thinking 
most most creative or innovative physicians that will be the first to leave. Well, and it's also what's scary about this is, you know, if under the interpretation of the medical board of, of California, we've seen how. The CDC has gotten things wrong. How the uh, you know FDC, how all these uh, or CDC rather, uh, FDA, how you know all these public health organizations uh, have gotten things wrong consistently throughout COVID. So then you you have the people who are essentially setting the per, the precedent, setting you know what the consensus is that have been wrong <laughs> throughout all of this. It's exactly right about our public health agencies and. It- by comparison, I mean, at least the public health agencies are populated by people with PhDs and people with supposedly some level of expertise. Um, yeah, they may be a bunch of incompetent PhDs or they may have been, become politicized or weaponized in various ways. But if you look at the medical board, um, less than half of the members of the medical board are physicians. Uh, most of the non-physicians are lawyers. The, um, the the chair of the medical board is uh, a professional life coach, um, you know, not someone that is competent at judging the current state of science on any given uh, medical question. And the members of the medical board are directly appointed by the governor. So this is a this is an entity that can very easily, and I would argue, has become weaponized and politicized um, and tasked with doing things that the medical board was never set up to do. Uh, The medical board was set up to, you know, basically get rid of physician cracks and and, and quacks and, and cranks who are clearly doing engaged in unethical, fraudulent, harmful behavior, you know, abusing the doctor-patient relationship in various ways or, you know, defrauding the insurance companies, this sort of thing. Um, You know, what to do about those doctors who receive multiple complaints from from patients about uh, clearly substandard care, clearly unethical or illegal practices. That's that's what the medical board was set up for. The medical board is should never be empowered to adjudicate complicated scientific questions. Um, they, they don't possess the competence to do that, and they will be operating under pressure from the state, which sets them up and empowers them, to do the state's bidding and to become the long arm of a kind of state censorship re- regime. And that's, a, that's very, very dangerous. Uh, for uh, an agency that had, you know, had a really modest task of, you know, monitoring the most egregious violations that, you know, a a few bad apples within the profession, which you're always going to have, you know, are are engaged in. And, And, you know, now they're being asked to take sides in complicated debates about, you know, a novel virus. And, you know the, the the idea that they would they would do any better than our public health agencies have done um, is uh, you know is is very far fetched. You know, obviously, you've eloquently laid out the justification against this law. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, quick commercial break. More with Dr. Aaron Cariotti. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why did you decide that, you know what, I'm stepping up, I'm going to be a part of this lawsuit, I've got to do more here? Number one, I, I thought that I could be among the physicians that was targeted by such a law. So if I wanted to continue to live and practice medicine in California, I ought to do something about this. Um, you know, er, from from early on in the pandemic, I was one of the doctors that would publicly challenge the the current scientific consensus, and very often uh, I was I was smeared or punished simply for being six months, nine months ahead of the curve, and for seeing what was coming down the pike before it was widely acknowledged by the public health agencies or um, by the profession as a whole. And so I, you know, I could imagine 
that once a law like this was in place, that, you know, it may, it may have a chilling effect on my own ability to continue to comment on public health policy related to COVID. So my own personal story, I was at the University of California, Irvine for 15 years, where I was a full professor in the School of Medicine and I directed the medical ethics program there. And uh, when the university instituted their vaccine mandate, I had already published a piece in the Wall Street Journal arguing that the university, vac university vaccine mandates were unethical. They violated the principle of informed consent, enshrined first at the Nuremberg Code and then throughout kind of 20th century medical ethics and federal law. And uh, so I challenged that vaccine mandate in federal court and the university fired me as a consequence of that. About a year after I was fired, the CDC finally came around and publicly acknowledged the central argument that I was making in that case, which was that uh, you know, we shouldn't be discriminating between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Uh, the CDC gave two reasons, which were, were first articulated in my lawsuit uh, you know, a year prior. Number one, natural immunity after infection, which I had, was at least as robust, indeed more robust than the vaccine the vaccine-induced immunity. And number two, um, the vaccines did not stop infection and transmission. Um, and both of these facts were known, if you were paying close attention to the research literature, were known in 2021 when I was trying to make this case publicly and in the federal courts. But it took the CDC a year to publicly acknowledge them. Didn't happen until 2022. So, I mean, that, that's just one example. I could, I could name others, um, other examples where I and other quote unquote dissident physicians who are challenging the, the, the COVID narrative that was being pushed were censored or silenced uh, or punished simply for articulating things that, um, that you know, a year later, six months later, were wi widely acknowledged by everyone to be true. So that, that, that's just that's just an, you know my own personal story, which you know could be re repeated many many times over by other uh, doctors and nurses and citizens just paying close attention. Uh, is it, it, it a good illustration of precisely what we talked about a few minutes ago with? you know, how science proceeds. You, you challenge, you, science advances precisely when a, when a consensus, when what everyone thinks they know is challenged and then, uh, you know, subjected to critical scrutiny and, um, and subjected to further investigation and the gathering of evidence and so forth. Um, and so, you know, the, a law like this is, in my view, essentially a power grab, right? Because it's the, if there are if there are public health officials, or if there are medical institutions who simply don't like their supposed authority questioned, um, and that if they declare something to be the case and um, you know mandate that everyone fall in line, then people should just shut up and listen. Um, 
Well, you know, the, these are people that um, that may realize, look, my my arguments may not succeed on their own merits. They may not succeed if they're subjected to scientific scrutiny. And, and you know, for a real doctor, a real scientist, that's OK. You welcome that. You know, I'm, I'm open to revising my opinion in the face of new evidence. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a good thing. Uh, but for people who will who will never publicly admit that they may have been wrong, uh, the censorship uh, option or the, the punish my adversaries option seems like a, a you know good way, maybe a shortcut to maintain their power and maintain their stance of, of a kind of authority that can't be questioned. And this, you know, this is this is, um, you know, this starts to smell of a of a kind of Orwellian sort of totalitarian flavor to it. I face this and in the media a little bit because I was very outspoken about not getting the vaccine. But I I can't imagine someone like you who, you know, as you you talked about, you you were at the uh, University of California, Irvine for for 15 years. My understanding is that the school medicine deans had asked you at one point to give the white coat uh, ceremony keynote address to incoming medical students. They told you that you're the best lecturer in the medical school. You're leaned on heavily for a variety of leadership roles at the school. So how crazy, because I can't imagine experiencing what I did in the media, which isn't even close to, to what you went through. And then also being a medical professional that you are. How wild has this been to pre- see probably people that you know you previously respected, you, you thought were critical thinkers, to just turn into, you know, like these programmed bots almost. Yeah, program bots and informants, uh, uh, you know, on on their colleagues. It was surreal. Uh, it was demoralizing. Medicine, at its best, has a tradition of self scrutiny and and internal, you know, criticism to try to make ourselves better. There's a there's a tradition in academic medicine. We call it the M M&M and M conference, morbidity and mortality conference. It's, you know, I take a case that I've treated where maybe the outcome wasn't as good as I would have hoped for. Maybe there was a bad outcome in the case. The patient died or something like that. Um, and I present the case in detail to my colleagues. Uh, you know, I stand up in front of the other doctors in my department. And they then are permitted to play Monday morning quarterback and second guess, you know, everything I did. Well, maybe the case would have gone better if you did this or maybe you could have spotted that earlier. Maybe you should have run this test. Now, it's hard to subject yourself to that kind of critical scrutiny, especially, you know, for people who have the benefit of hindsight, which is usually 2020. Uh, But doctors do that. We do that willingly because, you know, because we have a huge responsibility uh, because we want to get better. And ultimately, you know, for the sake of our patients, so that you know, if we've made mistakes or or done things that are suboptimal, we can we can try to avoid that in the future. All of that seemed to come to a grinding halt when it came to COVID. There was none of that. Um, there was none of that self scrutiny and, and sort of internal critique. Uh, there was none of the the back and forth um, parsing out of data and uh, arguing about data that that again is a central feature of academic medicine at at its best. Another, you know, monthly conference we have is journal club. You just take one article and you parse it out and you talk about the strengths and weaknesses and the methods. And, you know, just, just one study can be subjected to a lot of debate because science is complicated, but 
suddenly COVID comes out and there are these um, sort of anointed public health talking heads on TV that we are supposed to take as infallible and never mind that Anthony Fauci, for example, has probably not treated a patient since he was in residency many, many decades ago. He has not run an experiment at the bench for many decades. Um, you know, he's an administrator, he's a bureaucrat. But if you were to challenge um, his public health re recommendations, you were immediately accused of killing grandma or being selfish or, you know, putting the economy ahead of saving lives or whatever. So in a climate of fear, we were suddenly subjected to uh, a, a situation in which everyone was afraid to say what they actually thought. Um, everyone was afraid, even internally, to ask critical questions. Um, and it, it, was, it was shocking to me to see how quickly medicine fell in line with that. Um, and how even when some doctors started asking questions and started to once again think more critically, many of them did not feel empowered to speak out publicly out of fear of losing their jobs. So I had many doctors reaching out to me privately saying, hey, love what you're doing. Thanks for speaking out. You know, sorry you got sacked by the university, but keep doing what you're doing, you know, cheerleading. Um, because I feel like I can't, I feel like I can't speak out or I can't ask questions or I'll suffer the same fate that you suffered. And, you know, I understand that. I understand that it's kind of self-protective um, um, uh, strategy to try to maintain your career or your job. Uh, those consequences are very real and, you know, doctors have responsibilities to their families and so forth. But nevertheless, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, I think any professional has to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, as a physician, if I'm, if I'm doing things that I think are harmful to patients, then, you know, then I have to speak up, even if it's going to cost me. Or as a journalist, if, if I feel like I'm just parroting lies that I'm being told to, to repeat, um, you know, for the sake of my own integrity, even if I may lose my position at the, at the media company, I have to speak out. I have to do something. I, I think all professionals should ask themselves, you know, where is my line? Um, and if you don't have one, you should probably ask yourself, you know, why you're doing what you're doing and you know, what, it, uh, what is it all about for you professionally? Quick commercial break. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. 
Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Having these conversations with my parents and they're like, well, you could get fired. You know, have you thought about that? And I'm like, I just, you know, I got to do it and just see, you know, like pray to God I don't. But, you know, it, it's this is wrong. And, and what's the point of me in this role doing this job if I don't speak out and I don't have conviction? You know, and I'm not rooted in anything. Then why? Why am I, I? I don't deserve this job then, you know, to your to your point. Uh, you know, a, a California judge issued a preliminary injunction against this law uh where do you think this case is heading you know what's the timeline what what should people look for as this uh moves forward so the preliminary injunction is essentially the court saying that we are going to halt the implementation and application of the law while the case is being heard so the law went into effect january 1st unfortunately we couldn't get our hearing scheduled before january 1st um, but we managed a couple of weeks into January to get that uh, hearing for the preliminary injunction, and the court granted it. So the law went into effect for a few weeks. Um, it was never applied, to my knowledge, to any specific cases. Uh, and now the law is is on hold until the court makes a final ruling. That's a very, very good first step for a couple of reasons. Number one, there were other physicians in California that filed lawsuits to challenge this law in federal court on constitutional grounds, similar to what we did. And the court uh, found that those physicians did not have legal standing to challenge the law. And there were various technicalities and, you know, uh, reasons why the court did that. Um, I don't think those reasons were justified, but we certainly were worried that 
this judge might do the same thing. So we got past that hurdle. The judge uh, in the preliminary injunction ruling found that all five of us physician plaintiffs did have standing to challenge the law, even if in our clinical practice, we were not necessarily treating patients with COVID directly. We were engaged in other uh, conversations related to COVID. In my own case, as a psychiatrist, for example, um, I sometimes have to deal with the issue of masks with people that have anxiety disorders. Masks can actually increase their anxiety um, if someone is subjected to panic attacks. The, the rebreathing of, of, of the air with a mask can sometimes trigger panic symptoms. So even though I'm not an infectious disease specialist, I am sometimes giving advice on COVID-related matters. And the court recognized that. So that was good. That's a big hurdle. The second really important aspect of this preliminary injunction is that for a court to grant this, it's essentially the, the, the judge saying that even before you go to trial, the plaintiff's likelihood of prevailing, in other words, that the likelihood that the court is going to declare this law unconstitutional and strike it down is very plausible just on the basis of the written documentation that we've submitted and the written arguments that we've made in our complaint, in our declaration so far. So not to get too far ahead of ourselves, Lisa, um, we, we still need to win the case. But this is an indication from the court that the judge thinks we have a good chance of winning the case. So the next step is that we go we go to trial and, you know, we have the back and forth of the the fact finding and the legal arguments and the testimony given by the plaintiffs. If the court uh, asks for that or requires that and then the judge is is going to have to make a ruling. I, we don't have the date yet set for that trial, to my knowledge, uh, unless that happened today and I just haven't been notified. But uh, the judge acted fairly swiftly uh, in our case to issue the preliminary injunction. And I think the court will move pretty quickly to the next phase. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to get uh, you know a ruling sometime in the next month or two. But at least in the meantime, we're not going to be subjected to this bad law in California. I, I anticipate that we'll prevail. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm also aware that uh, I don't have a crystal ball. The, the two the two constitutional issues at stake in our case, number one, free speech of physicians is a First Amendment right. But the other one and actually the one that the court uh, paid more attention to in its recent ruling was we're arguing that our rights are being violated under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. One of the one of the things that um, that that aspect of the Constitution requires is that the law itself, any law that's passed, be sufficiently clear in its wording and its definitions that a citizen can know whether or not they're violating the law. Right. Otherwise, you're you're subjected to an arbitrary uh, law that's hanging over your head and you're not sure, you know, does what I'm doing right now constitute stealing or fraud or whatever. Well, in this case, the judge said that the wording of the law, first of all, was grammatically unintelligible. And second of all, the, the, the current scientific consensus was uh, 
was too vaguely defined in the law. Precisely our concern that the law was going to have a chilling effect because doctors didn't know if, you know, a piece of advice that they wanted to give would or would not get them into trouble with the medical board. So we may, we may prevail on that issue alone, uh, aside from the fact that this law also violates First Amendment free speech rights. Well, Dr. Aaron Cariotti, before we go, where can people help out? Is there a way for people to help out? So our case is being supported by the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Our uh, lawyer there, Janine Yunus, uh, has been really excellent. So if you want to contribute to the case itself, you can uh, you can give some money to the NCLA. If you want to follow the case, I post regularly on it and on some other legal cases that I'm involved in on free speech issues on my Substack newsletter. So AaronCariotti.substack.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. And uh, I've written about these issues as well in a, in a recent book I published called The New Abnormal. That is a great title for where we are today <laughs> for a book. Uh, Dr. Aaron Cariotti, uh, you're a hero in my book. We really, I think we're going to look back and, and see folks like you as heroes in, in standing up against this because it's one thing for media types or anything else. It's another for people like you who have earned your degrees and uh, you know have a, a different level of credibility on these issues. So I, I appreciate what you're doing, praying that you guys are successful in California. And uh, just thank you. And thank you. Thank you for standing strong and for allowing voices like mine to, to have a microphone and to speak uh, and to standing by your own uh, convictions in this regard as well. Very much admire that. Thanks, Lisa. That was Dr. Aaron Cariotti, uh, obviously leading the charge on this lawsuit in California. Good for him. Really interesting conversation. Such a smart guy, obviously. Uh, I sat there in awe during most of the conversation, just really kind of taking in what he had to say. I appreciate you guys for listening to the show every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. Please leave us a review. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank my producer, John Cassio, for putting the show together. Until next time. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com Lisa. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.